there's something to stop and note here because even as Jesus is coming in on a donkey, there's something he's actually declaring by coming in that manner. Because had he come in riding on a horse or a stallion, that would have been a symbol, symbolic of a king coming in for war. He came in on a donkey because he was coming in to bring peace. When we consider the significance of his actions, not only here, but the ultimate sacrifice, it should cause us to shout out like they did on Palm Sunday, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Senior Pastor George Martin explains in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. I am excited, excited, excited about today because it is Palm Sunday, which begins what we in Christian Christendom call Holy Week. And so it all begins with Jesus' triumphant uh, marching in or riding in to Jerusalem. And so we have been, we are in a series, a sermon series that's entitled Jesus God's Invitation to the World. This week we pick up where we left off last week as we were establishing the fact that, the, that God has revealed himself more, most clearly through the revelation of his son or the revealing of his son and through the Trinity that as we understand it, and Jesus being key to that because it is through understanding that God is Jesus' Father that we begin to understand how he is set apart from all other monolithic gods or monolithic belief systems that believe that there's just one God. So in this, this uh, sermon, series, sermon today, we want to title this sermon the son that was destined for greatness. The son that was destined for greatness. Because last week we shared how we understand fully who God is and distinctly that he's not just one of the guys, just not one of those who are out there that somebody can choose to believe or pick and choose, but that he is the one true God. And that he has a son and that that son was destined for greatness. The unassuming Jesus of Nazareth came from very humble beginnings. Even at the beginning, after being born, his first crib was the same place where, where animals used to go to feed. A makeshift crib that was made to suit a baby. He also then came and was reared, he was reared and came from a city, a town, that when referred to in question, the question was asked, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So he, he's born. His first crib is the same place where we would call a trough, those that are farmers where food is thrown in and slop may be thrown in or whatever is available for the feed, that that's where he is lying. And then he's reared in a place where there's no notoriety and there's nothing that's exciting about Nazareth. Then came the scandal that loomed over his life about how he was born. 
You know how people are. They always murmur about, well, you know, uh, <laughs> poor Joseph. It, you know that ain't his son, don't you? <laughs> so he lives his life having come into the world without notoriety, without much fanfare, and then he lives under the shadow of a scandal. And, and if that wasn't enough, here this young man is. He already got the, 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 the cards are stacked against him. Then he goes and starts talking about he's the son of God. <laughs> and he falls out of good graces with everybody in town. He said, no, we know who you are. We know who your mama is and your brothers are. You can't be. But then, after having started that way, lived the life that was perfect, exhibiting God's power, his father's power, but, but shunning the public eye, he comes riding in on a donkey with people making a big deal. The text says that when they heard Jesus of Nazareth, now nobody was excited about Jesus being from Nazareth, but they said when they heard Jesus of Nazareth is coming to town, a parade ensued. An impromptu parade ensues, and people are ecstatic, and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king of Israel. But here's the thing. But they did not know that he was riding into Jerusalem to fulfill his greatest destiny, and that was to die. And not just die because somebody wanted him dead, but to die for the sins of the entire world. There's something we must start with today because we had you, we, we, we brought out my props today. I, I, I just wanted to have something to, to remind us of the day and I, the choir did a great job of helping me out. But there's some symbolism that I want to first establish that rests within the olive branches. There's one thing that we can understand from scripture that olive branches, uh, uh, palm, I'm sorry, palm branches uh, would, would represent, and that would be righteousness. When you look over in Psalm 20, uh, 92, verse number 12, here's what it says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. So we understand that one symbol, when he's coming in, he's coming in, and they're shouting his righteousness. The next thing is we understand that there's another symbol that's exhibited through the palm branches, and that would be victory. Now we see that in Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 9. Here's what the word says. After these things, I looked, 
and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, all of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and here it is, with palm branches in their hands. That when Jesus is sitting on his throne and we are, have been gathered to shout his victory, palm branches will once again be used. So we see the symbolism there because as a people, no one got them together. It was an impromptu gathering, but somehow they knew that this was the right thing to do, to shout and to grab palm branches. Now, you need to understand, Jesus had many times told those that he'd healed, he said, don't go tell anybody. I'm trying to stay out of the public eye. But here's the thing that happens. Even as he's entering, the Pharisees, frustrated, angry with him, they said, tell these people to stop doing this, Jesus. And Jesus said, well, if they don't do it, the rocks will do it. He said, if they shut up, they have a divine assignment to wave palm branches, and they, they have a, a divine assignment to declare Hosanna, but if they happen to stop, these stones will rise up and begin to shout the very same thing because it must be declared that I'm coming to fulfill my purpose. That leads us to our first point of the day. A king riding on a donkey. Verse 13 says, they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. So this was actually fulfilling a, a, a prophecy that had been declared by Zechariah. In Zechariah 9 and 9, here's what it says. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Israel. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding on the donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. He said, so, so it was already declared that he would come in as this king, but he would come in humbly, lowly. I like the way that the New Living Translation says this. I'm going to read that for you. It says, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, yes. O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble. Amen. Riding on a donkey. Yes. Riding on a donkey's coat. Yes. There's something to stop and note here because... Even as Jesus is coming in on a donkey, there's something he's actually declaring by coming in that manner. Because had he come in riding on a horse or a stallion, that would have been a symbol, symbolic of a king coming in for war. He came in on a donkey because he was coming in to bring peace. Peace between mankind and God. Yes. 
he was going to be under attack. He knew the task that was before him. But, the, but he came in humbly that he might fulfill his purpose, his destiny. Now, I want you to understand something. We see the scene of the people shouting and waving and declaring Hosanna. The problem is they didn't know why they were doing it. Matthew records it this way. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 10 and 11. So the question is actually asked of this multitude. And this crowd, they're shouting. And somebody asked them, they say, well, who is this guy? Here's what they say. Uh, at verse 10, and when he came, he had come into Jerusalem. All the city was moved saying, who is this? Who is this guy? Here's what the multitude said. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. This is Jesus. Remember, they were shouting king. But he's a prophet from because of all the things that they'd seen him do. They understood something was special about him. But they didn't know exactly why he was coming. So the question is, so then why were they shouting? We understand that it was to fulfill prophecy. But another answer to that could be that there's what's called um, mob mentality or herd mentality or pack mentality. It's when people can be influenced by their peers. So somebody got excited and somebody said, oh, let's, this, this looks good. Let's all, let's all do this. Because they didn't know the significance of his coming, and yet they declared and they were then shouting exactly what God said would happen when he came in victoriously. So then again, why did they shout? Because Luke records it that in Luke chapter 19 and 37 that they had seen his mighty works. And most likely they were thinking, hey, he's getting ready to come do some more stuff. I heard about he made all them fish sandwiches for the people out there. So let me, let me give me some fish. You know, I love, so you know, I love some fish. Now, I, I missed out on the fish, but I ain't going to miss it this time. Because they were celebrating what they had seen him do. But they should have been celebrating what he was coming to do. And it's, it's okay because one of the reasons when we come to Jesus, we come because he offers salvation. So it's, 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 it's not a problem that we think of ourselves when we think of Jesus. But we, have to, we have to always make sure that we don't confuse the purposes. He came and we celebrate the fact that we can have access to eternal life. But we celebrate the fact that we have access for eternal life. Because God loved us enough to create the access. Because he could have left us in our sin. But he, through the richness of his mercy, said, I'll make a way for you. 
There is a, a young man who was working hard. He was trying to accomplish something that he thought would impress those around him. He was out there and he had grabbed some tools out of his father's toolbox. And he was out there working diligently trying to get this thing done. As he worked and he worked and he worked, nothing that he did worked. All that he did and all of the tools he had implored, none of them worked. Then his father came out and saw what he was trying to do. Realized that he said, well, he's working with the wrong tools. So the father said, son, I have exactly what you need in order to get the result you want. Here's what we understand. See, religion is man's effort trying to figure out how to get to God. But God understood that because when Jesus came on the scene, there was plenty of religion going on. Plenty of good old religion going on, but God said, I'm trying to get relationship, and the only way to do that, I've got to give them the right tool. So God the Father saw mankind out here struggling, trying to figure out how to get to him. He said, I've got the right tool, and he comes in the way of my son. So on Palm Sunday, the Father saw that we didn't know how to get to him. We didn't have the right tools, so he sent the right tool riding on a donkey. That we might accomplish the intended outcome. And that is that we can get to God Almighty. So now having established that he was the tool that God was giving, the Father was giving to allow for us to access him. We have to ask this question, point number two. Point, the, the second point is going to come in the way of a question. So why did he ride into town knowing what was getting ready to happen? Because we understand something John records in the 11th chapter, if you would turn over just one page or two to the 11th chapter. Jesus had begun to, to avoid being very public because he had learned that they were plotting to kill him. If you see in, in, in John 11, let's look at verse 53 and 54. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews. So, so he understood that they were plotting to kill him. So he stopped walking publicly. He stopped being very public and very visible. So then if he knows that this is what's happening, why did he publicly ride in to town? We know the magnitude of what he was going to face because in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see him agonizing and saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. 
If there's another way, Father, if you, if, if you got any other way to do this, let this cup pass. And he concludes, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, let it be done. So the answer to the question, why did he come? The first, the first response I have is that he knew the penalty for sin was real. He knew the penalty, hell, complete, eternal separation from God. He knew that that penalty was real because it's important for us to understand, today, in today's society, there's much to do trying to convince mankind that hell is not a real place. That's a state of mind. Or that it's a, a place where you are, uh, the, the, the things that you dislike the most, they just torment you over and over. There's also some effort done to say that when you're dead, you are done. Because if you think about what Jesus endured going into Jerusalem, why would he do that? unless he knew there was a big price he had to pay. The second, because here's what the Word of God tells us. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and have fallen short or fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6 and 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So he understood that all needed what he was doing, even though all didn't understand why he was doing it. And he also understood that the death there was not the death that we speak of when we close our eyes for the last time in the earth. He was talking about, as John describes, the second death. So the wages of sin is death. But look at the beauty of this father, comma. I don't know if you remember that. From grammar school, when you're reading and you come to a comma, all these teachers in here, they know this, you stop. And then when you have a, a stop or a pause rather, because the period is a, is a stop, but the pause, when you put a conjunction in there, it ties what was just said to what's getting ready to be said. So yeah, 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 we all have sinned. We're all in the same boat. And he says that the wages of that sin, the payment, because you know what that means, wages. What you didn't earn. Some of us did some overtime. We, we, we got a lot on our book. Our check was fat. And the wages of sin is death. Watch this. Pause. Conjunction. But the gift of God is eternal life through the son that's riding in on a donkey. You may not have thought much of him coming in on a donkey and being from Nazareth, but you didn't realize that he's coming in to bring salvation to all of the world. He rode in because he understood that. 
the other response is that he ruled in because we, he knew we needed it. Here's what Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9 says, but what does it say? The word is near you. Even in your mouth and in your heart, it's the word of faith that we preach. That if you would confess, watch now, they're confessing him as king of Israel. But what he was coming to do is establish himself as Lord. So he says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus or Jesus as Lord and believe with your heart that, yeah, he rode in and he suffered, but we'll celebrate next week how he got up, that God raised him from the dead, you don't have to have the death that you earned. Let me say it this way. This is the only time I would imagine that you'd be glad that they hold your check back. Because <laughs> you know how it is. You become postal. You go, you go to your account. I know they don't have paychecks anymore. They just deposit it in your account. But you know, you, you, at lunch break, you check to see. <laughs> you got to knock it on me. Miss Betty, Miss Betty. Uh... I'm going to check my account. The deposits normally go in at midnight, and it's noon, and it still ain't in. And they say, well, you know, we made a decision to hold your check back. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> oh, 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 no, you didn't. I was here 40 hours. 40 hours, some hours. And worked overtime. I stayed up, I stayed up late building this paycheck. It's the only time that you'd be glad they say, nah, we're going to hold this check back because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, the last response to why did he ride in? Because he came to propitiate for our sins. So, so, so it's not that the check went away. It's just that it doesn't get applied to you. Because here's what propitiate means. It means to win or gain the favor of someone by doing something that pleases them. See, when Jesus is coming in, he's doing everything according to what the Father told him to do because he's coming to please the Father and to settle and to satisfy all of the paychecks we had earned. I don't know, you guys may not know much about this, but as a pastor, you sometimes have to go downtown and, and try to help um, uh, a loved one or a, a member's child who's incarcerated. They have what's called books. Uh -huh. uh, somebody that's been down there putting, putting, putting book money on. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You go down there and they say, they call you, say, call you, collect. Hey, uh, uh, can, you, um, can you come down and put something on my books? And what that means is you go down and you put a certain amount on their account. The key is, 
when the request comes in, it's always intended to match the need. So if they say, hey, I'm try- I need to get some more, some more shoes, and I need you to settle, I, I need so much to, to settle that amount, then there's a need to go down and to make sure that what's put on is enough that when it's applied, it satisfies the need. See, Jesus was in the midst of all that was going on. Friends had abandoned him. He's on the cross. And they're spitting on him and they've pierced him in the side. They've been whipping him all night long. And he could have just said, you know what? Father, this is enough. I've taken enough of this. But the Bible says that right as he's getting ready to give up the ghost, he says, he says I thirst. Because the word had already been prophesied that they would give him spoiled grapes to drink. So just as they completed their assignment, he completed his assignment. And he said, it is finished. Why? Because he had put enough on our books to cover our debt. Yeah, you don't want to see yourself as a criminal, but you had sinned and come short of the glory. You were in prison. And he had to come and put something on your book to cover your debt. He came to propitiate for our sins. And then here's how Paul, I love the way he put this in Romans chapter 5. He says it this way in verse 6 through 8. He says, for when we were still without strength, still shackled to sin, still in the prison of sin, when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ, at the right time, he showed up and died for the ungodly. For scarcely, verse 7, would a righteous man, one would be dare, would dare to die. So you, you, even somebody good, you have to think about it, right? They say, hey, would you give up your life for this brother? He's a good brother. You know, he's a father. He's a, he's a, he's a great man. He's great in his community. But we need somebody to die for him. You know what? You'd already start the committee for celebrating his life. I ain't going to be able to do that, but I'm going to help. I'm going to get a parade together. We'll never forget you. We'll never forget you. We're going to make sure. I will make sure that we never forget you. Because I ain't doing that. Because he says, scarcely for a righteous man, some would die. He says, yet for, perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die, would even consider it. But verse 8 says, but God demonstrating his own love towards us while we were still unworthy not good but still unworthy Christ died for us the blessing and the beauty of this message of the son riding in destined to die is because he was coming as a fulfillment of God's love because here's the thing if I haven't made this clear to this point I want to make this abundantly clear. 
that the greatness that the son was destined for was to die for the sins of the whole world. As he's riding in on a donkey, he's coming to fulfill his great destiny to die. And so we sing this a lot. He looked beyond our faults and he saw our needs. I want you to understand that point number three, Jesus looked beyond the suffering and saw the glory that was before him. Yeah, it was going to be tough. Yes, he struggles with it in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he then submits to the will of the Father because he looks past all of that and he sees the glory because in verse 16 of our text today, it says, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when he was glorified, that's when they, they begin to remember. See, now that Jesus has been glorified, he, he, he came in and he was humiliated and beat down. But now that he's been glorified, when we think back on Palm Sunday, we get excited because we can celebrate what he did for us. Because having now this understanding, when we look back at Palm Sunday, Jesus riding in, Here's what the writer of Hebrews has to say about it. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse number two, he says, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher. Man, is that, is that a, I love that, a finisher. The closer, he's the completer of our faith. The author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The NIV says it this way. I want you to hear this. It says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Because sometimes as we get going, we start to take our eyes off of what Jesus has done because we're still praying for things to happen that haven't happened yet. And we're saying, God, hey, when are you going to do this? He said, but make sure you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't just look beyond your fault to see your need. He looked beyond your need because your need was in the penalty. He looked beyond that and saw that one day there would be some of us who would say, Lord, I believe. Let me close with a story. <clears throat> What's called the Great Alaskan Earthquake on March 27, 1964, about, at about 5.36 p.m., a great earthquake hit a magnitude of 9.2, occurred in the Prince William Sound region of Alaska, lasting approximately four minutes. It was the second largest earthquake ever recorded in the world. The estimated damage at the time 
was it totaled hundreds of millions of dollars. And surprisingly enough that the number of deaths from such an earthquake, because it, the, the effect of it was felt all the way down in Oregon and in California. It was surprising that the total death was only about 131 individuals, with most of those being in Alaska and some in, in Oregon and in, in California. Now, this was surprising because the cities uh, that like Akron or Anchorage, or, or Alaska, they actually experienced whole neighborhoods just falling out, dropping into the ground. Whole city blocks just disappeared. So these massive craters and rubble created such a sense of devastation that people were very anxious. Now, as I noted, this started in the evening at about 546. There was such a sense of, of despair because these huge tsunami waves were washing in and washing out, and people were anxious. Then the darkness began to fall. And there were all these people who were nervously waiting because they were waiting to hear whether or not their loved ones were still alive. There was one reporter who made a commitment to stand guard hearing reports that she might proclaim some good news. Her name was Jenny Chance. Jenny committed to stay by her radio and microphone and that every time she learned of someone's survival, she proclaimed it. So as darkness fell and people are sitting nervously by their radios, they keep hearing good news being proclaimed, that there was still some hope in what seems to be a hopeless situation. So a father, a husband heard that his wife was still alive. There, there was, a, there was a, 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 a Boy Scout troop that were out and the parents were nervous about and they found out that their sons were safe and there were some others who found out that their children were safe and, and, and spouses found out that, that, their, that their grandparents and sons and daughters learned that their parents and grandparents were still alive. Because even though it was dark, and the outcome seems to be grim, somebody realized that we must continue to proclaim the hope of good news. So today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, we're proclaiming the good news. That even in a world where it seems like hope and there's devastation and there seems to be spiritual, emotional rubble everywhere, we continue to declare the good news. What's that good news? John 3, 16, verse 17, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave, the son that rode in on a donkey, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But here is the condemnation. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us, or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.